Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Russ Sersosimo, and he is founder of the Medical Cannabis Society, also an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about his business, Hemp Synergistics, a little bit. I'm excited for this program. I think you know that the hemp space is fascinating. I think the medical space is fascinating. We're going to talk a little bit about Russ's background, learn about his insights, what he's doing in the cannabis space. Uh, with that, Russ, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. So why don't we start with a little bit of your background? I'm always curious to hear how guests kind of got into the cannabis space, what they were doing beforehand. There's always a good story there. Tell us yours. Yeah, true. So I actually was in the, I had started a tech company out in California in 2009 and I had exposure to cannabis. You know, I I remember specifically in 2009, seeing an adult smoking a joint near a a kid's playground and a cop was in a close vicinity enough they could smell it. The world wasn't ending. Um, (laughs) Nothing happened. (laughs) Right. And when I, I moved that tech company back to Pittsburgh and the stigma was still there, in fact, it was very strong. Yeah. 2014 came along and there was a group of mothers that had started pushing legislators for a medical cannabis program in, in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, my business partner and I uh, teamed up with the moms and went out and really pushed uh, our legislators, worked with the legislators one on one. And in fact, it was often that we would get a call and say, hey, look, 
we need you on the phone call tomorrow. We're going to have these senators and these House reps in the room, and we need to compare and contrast how, you know, the Connecticut program, why it took so long versus the Minnesota program. If you could do that, that'd be great. So that, that's the kind of stuff we did. We teamed up the moms and we put on about uh, about 50 events we were part of over the last three and a half, four years, specific to just educating and leading the industry in, in Pennsylvania. So I, I got, I, I really jumped in when I could. And yeah. from there, we had ended up were successful uh, getting a dispensary permit. And then from there, you kind of see the things that the industry needs. I ended up getting into uh, my software roots uh, and developing software that was going to help researchers tie cannabinoid constituent ratios to patient outcomes over time. So mm. we've slowly yeah. developing that. And uh, just recently, I got into the hemp industry, which we're going to talk about, I guess, coming up. But that's kind yeah. of my background in a nutshell. But I did get in because I had a specifically an 11-year-old girl that had 10,000 seizures a year. Um, oh, when wow. Saw what the oil did for her when yeah. she had and they gave her I mean, 14 days before her organs were going to be shut down. Cannabis brought her back to life. And that same girl's now 16, communicating with her mother and speaking for the first time in her life. And it was all because of this plant that was so demonized. Um, so it's nice to see it all come full circle. And yeah, yeah. that's how I got into it. Well, a tough story to, to have to go through. But I think I see a lot of that kind of, you know, people that have seen firsthand, you know, what cannabis, you know, can do applied, you know, in a in, in the right way, you know, in the right context for these outcomes. So it really uh, does the influencing, you know, I mean, when, yeah. when someone can see it, what it does, there's not much negotiating you need. It's it's a matter of people seeing what it does. Yeah. And fill us in. What is the status of Pennsylvania in terms of cannabis medical? This is a medical program. Yep. So it's medical. In fact, our governor just uh, last week, he brought up the point that he was OK with a recreational program right now. It's medical. We are in, I believe it's our the full first years is passed. And I think the numbers just came in and they did about 200 million in dispensary sales uh, through August. Well, and how many dispensary licenses uh, and roughly are they located specific places or what's the I geographic? There, I believe there's six, there's 60 that are up right okay. now. And this, the way the state did it is they did a limited model where, you know, they only gave out so many and it yeah. was a competitive application process. And it was, you know, it was everything it was supposed to be, you know. Yeah. And uh, but at the end of the day, we're up and running and we're, we're over that hump and things are moving. Yeah. I guess having been involved in that process, what I mean, I guess what were your surprises or insights in terms of actually getting the legislation uh, well, you know, passed? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting working with legislators. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea what I didn't know, yeah. you know, and there was some there was some good stuff, too. Like I remember when. Whenever the bill did get passed, a lot of people were up in arms over the fact that it didn't include flour uh, mm-hmm. and it did not include edibles. And uh, one of the uh, senators that worked with us on the bill gave us a wink and said, hey, give it literally one year and you're going to see flour come in. We wrote special things in the bill to let that happen. And he was mm-hmm. right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a year later, flour just, you know, made it in without any fight. So I, I got to see kind of how that process all goes. But uh you know, at the same time, he, there are the bad sides of politics yeah. and saw that in the application process, too. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was it was majority positive and uh, we're up and running. People have medicine and I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of the people that I've spoken to that have been kind of part of various state legislative processes, is it's kind of, you know, it's making sausage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, you just, don't watch it being made. Just enjoy the outcome. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's, it can be a little grisly. But and so and, and tell us about the research side. I mean, I guess, you know, to the extent that uh, you've been involved in helping kind of collect data around this. I mean, I guess there's a general kind of feeling or or discussion in the industry that there's a lack of medical real kind of scientific underpinning or or data, you know, studies and things like that. I mean, guess what's what have you seen? What what data do we have out there? Because I came from the data realm, I went into this look for the value. You know, where's the data at? Where's the stuff that people want? What do they see value in? And, And it's really tying cannabinoids to an outcome. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I had, um, 
been in touch with with researchers at Johns Hopkins that were working on that exact thing, trying mm-hmm. to tie cannabinoids to once it's in someone's bloodstream, how is it affecting them? And the software just wasn't up to speed. They were trying to use things that they had been using for years to do this, but because of the schedule one and because of the fact that they couldn't touch the patient, yeah. you know, there's so many, there, there's handcuffs in every direction. So basically what we did is we started developing software that utilizing the lab in Pennsylvania was a really neat, um, it was good because they pushed for a high level of testing. Mm-hmm. So what what we knew as software developers that there was going to be that that kind of machinery, the, that analytical equipment in the state and that it you know cannabis is going to have to pass through these three different machines to pull out all this different information. And if we could tie that information then to a patient outcome and that's what uh, that's what we're currently building on the software side now. So what we'll be able to do is hand somebody a phone and say, uh, you know, there's other groups that are doing it, but the big problem is that they're not tying into those actual cannabinoid ratios at a software level. They're 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 asking a human being to type in all these decimal points in regards mm-hmm. to cannabinoids and, and terp ratios. And, you know, it's a great idea and we're almost there, but, you know, that's where you drop people. So I think we're trying to find a really uh, a good solution for the industry. And uh, we're, we're really going down that research path with it. But uh, so far, yeah. so good on, on feedback and we're doing the right thing. But it, it is a it's a monster. And there's a real there's a reason that people haven't done it yet. It's very difficult. A lot of moving pieces, yeah. a lot of different legacy technologies that need pulled together and then standardized, normalized and, and spit out to these different applications. So we're getting there, but it's really data. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I got up and I spoke at a spectroscopy convention, which, you know, I'm not a scientist. I just get thrown into these things. And I, <laughs> you know, it's pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. So, you know, I, knowing that I was going to be in, in, in front of all these scientists, I brought my scientist waiting for that that one audience question that says, hey, well, how could you claim all this? There's no there's no research. Yeah. And, and my response is, well, there's not enough data. You know, I'll talk to you afterwards. And once you get a chance to sit down with these scientists and let them know, look, it's just we just haven't had a chance to pull this information. You guys like the research. You know, so far we have some anecdotal stuff. And here's, yeah. you know, the, the uh, research that we'll pull together that they've done. But there's no really central database. And they're definitely not teaching this stuff in medical school. They're starting to, you know, talk about it, but they haven't been taught it. So it's, yeah. it's there is that cognitive dissonance in bringing new things in unless the data is there it's hard to buy into it yeah i mean do you think i mean if there were you know any any kind of big changes you could make to the industry right now either you know at a state or federal level that would really help with the whole you know the ability to collect data analyze data you know bring data to the actual you know kind of application process you know helping people make decisions you know diagnosis things like that what do you think are the big hindrances it being a schedule one drug is a is a big problem i mean that's literally it it's you know usually these guys are able to access these drugs are able to have a clinical you know study that they put together but because there's you know we don't know who's you know we don't know what's going to happen yet everyone's kind of nervous about it and you know the best way to do it would just be get someone that has a medical card and start to ask them questions but again they're one removed from the researchers because there's that medical card involved yeah frustrating yes, it is and, and i think that um you know there's so many just kind of interesting dynamics of this industry because we have this kind of legal conundrum or quagmire that we're in but you know unfortunately i think it really it does hurt our ability to use it as a as a positive medical tool i mean yeah. it, you know it, yeah. it prevents doctors from getting too involved the whole prescribing or I mean, it's not even a prescribing the you know the authorized uh condition you know process and actually selecting the product and the products themselves i mean we just don't know you know we're dealing with an agricultural product that you know has a huge amount of variation Various, and, yeah. you know once you start processing it and then you know how these cannabinoids actually interact in different ways you know we just we know so little about really what's so going little. on yeah but yeah. we know it has some so much 
you know, potential positive benefits. I mean, we, we know anecdotally and we know in these kind of extreme cases, you know, it's clear that it's having this, you know, this positive effect. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the hemp side, because I think that, you know, from a business point of view, from an industry point of view is is huge. So tell, I guess, maybe just educate the audience a little bit what's going on with hemp and then why hemp is so interesting. Yeah. For so you I mean, basically, we had the ability to, to, you know, do a certain amount of things under the 2014 uh, Farm Bill. They then came out with a 2018 Farm Bill that right now has been sent to the White House uh, for approval and change. So we're kind of working off of the old one. But yeah, I mean, when you look at it, you know, the the marijuana industry is kind of limited because of the state rules and Mm -hmm. because it is a schedule one. Now, the fact that, you know, hemp can be bought, sold, shipped, grown, you know, it really opens things up. And, and, you know, I like to look at it at a biological and scientific level. We all have an endocannabinoid system, right? So I think the hemp market right now is is really going to I mean, obviously I'm not the only one, but it's going to, it's going to boom. And that's because people are, you know, they're getting this somehow, whether they hear about on the news, whether they have a friend, you know, whether they stop by a CBD store, whatever it is, they're getting in their system and all the benefits, even this, the benefits they would get if they had smoked cannabis are coming because those other cannabinoids are in there. So, I mean, it's, I think the industry is going to be huge because there's the limitations aren't there and we all still have an endocannabinoid system. I think the last statistic I read is that 7% of the country's on some sort of CBD or hemp product. Yeah, it's crazy. I've seen it at the malls and everything. Everything. <laughs> Everyone's advertising CBD products. And, and, you know, when I look at it, like, you know, it's like saying, hey, magnesium is now available. You know, go ahead and get it. And people have something that their body needs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, so you're getting all this good stuff that's happening. And, I mean, we all need it. So eventually yeah. everyone's going to get on it somehow. And, and that's the kind of the life cycle I've seen is once they, they try it, it remedies something, it makes them feel better. I mean, you know, I look at my father, he was on Ambien for 20 years oh, and, yeah. you know, he, he, his doctor told him it was okay. And yeah. he is now off Ambien and he's on some sort of CBD product, just, you know, and, and it does all the same things. Yep. You know, now we're finding out that, that CBN in, in a half amount, so five milligrams of CBN has got the same, um, it does the same thing as Valium or Ambien at, at 10 milligrams. So, wow. you know, these little things that are coming out as we find them, you know, where do you get that stuff? You get it from hemp yeah. um, and it's not going to be limited. So I think, you know, ultimately then isolating these ingredients as they come up is going to be a big thing that we see in the next couple of years too because we are finding this stuff out. Yeah. And just so people understand, I mean, the, the hemp is basically cannabis with a less than 0.3% THC Correct. content. I mean, it's the same right. fundamental plant. It's just, it's a, really the same, right. you're, you're just you're manipulating the, the the THC levels in it so that it falls below this 0.3%. And, and then now under the farm bills, the 14 and the 18 farm bill, it, it, that is now federally legal to to grow, to process, to sell products derived from hemp at this point. Correct. Correct. Now, where where you're going to see, so I'll use this opportunity to kind of yeah, give you that, right? So right, you know, right now they grow the the plant and it's got typically a 0.03% THC mm-hmm. level or 0.3% THC. What's happening, that's legal, right? So, you know, yeah. when we look at the crime lab reports, we're seeing a, nearly all hemp as it's grown is falling below that 0.3% THC. Mm-hmm. When we look at what's been extracted, so you take the plant, you run it through a machine. I mean, these machines, anybody could get a $200,000 AP machine. Yep. Um, you know, anybody really, it doesn't matter. And it's like operating a commercial washing machine. You know, you turn it on, you put your stuff in, out comes your stuff. Well, for 20 years, let's say back in, in 1996, when this was legalized in California, you could take Blue Dream, put it into a CO2 extractor as it was, mm-hmm. extract the plant material, and then you have Blue Dream oil, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now that hemp's legal, if you did that same thing with a with a, a hemp plant that was legal, meaning it was under the 0.3% mm-hmm. THC, but you remove that, just the plant material, you're going 
going to bump that 0.3% bot, uh, weight yeah. to probably 1.3%, 1.5%. And that's what we're seeing at the Crime Lab. So when we looked at the last 100 lab tests that had come in to the forensic crime lab, 50% of them were well over the THC limit. And what that means is these first wave yeah. extractors don't know what they don't know. And what's happening is, is they're selling the extract to the manufacturers of the food or the manufacturers of the, of the different you know nutraceuticals. And these people who thought they did their diligence don't know what they don't know in, in regard to the testing or the science and they're getting in trouble. So you have a lot hmm. of CBD raids where these, you know, these store owners are getting busted when, you know, they're saying, Hey, I did my retailer as a, I did my diligence as a retailer, the same I've done for 30 years. What's different. And it's that the guy that extracted it, that sold it to that guy that made the bottle that put the label had no idea that these were going to convert to an illegal substance over time. And I think so, that- so to stay to, to stay under, you know, within regulation is that the the concentrate has to stay under 0.3% as well. Correct. And that's where legislation is really going to come down because there's been kind of this, well, we don't know or we're not sure or nobody's looking. Yeah. And that, that's going to change because what's happening is you see people from the, I mean, I have my hands in both industries and the, the people in the legal marijuana industry mm-hmm. that have gone through all this state regulated, you know, at this application process, they put all this money up. Now you have groups that are infringing on that that THC based product, so uh, we have a feeling there's going to be a big you know there's going to be regulation obviously, and I think on top of there's going to be lawsuits that come down soon that kind of put a halt on the guys that are out here just selling. And I don't want to say snake oil because it works, but we also don't know what's in it. There could be heavy metals, there could be other things, and it, it's all going to come at the level of testing and what that regulation uh, you know says we have to do. And we think you know that's where the White House is going to go. They're definitely going to have regulation on what we call de- decarboxylated product in its uh, in its actual product form. So THCA that might be legal, once it's heated, it turns to THC and, and that's what's yeah. happening. So people cook their stuff, they got too much THC. Well, so THC yeah. yeah. And how, I mean, so I guess, tell us a little bit about the testing or why is the testing so difficult and what are some of the technologies or, or issues around the testing process that well, either drive yeah, so cost I, or drive complexity? Yeah. So there, I mean, it's definitely going to drive cost, which I think is why you see a, lot, a level of testing that's inadequate. So, you know, yeah. where broker A might just say that his buyer needs to know if there's a legal amount of THC, mm-hmm. you know, they might be okay with just a, you know, 11 panel test that shows the THC levels below. But what you, you know, hemp remediates soil. So it pulls up heavy metals, it pulls up toxins, it does, yeah. you know, pulls up things that you shouldn't be putting into your body. Now that's where secondary and other levels of testing are going to tell you what kind of heavy metals, what kind of uh, pesticides and things of that nature in that. And people just don't know that they should be looking for. I mean, how often you go to a you know, to the grocery store yeah, exactly. and buy tomatoes. You don't even think about, you know, the fact that they were tested or whatever, but, you know, they've gone through a certain level of stuff, be classified organic, and we don't even have that stuff yet out there for this industry. So there's a lot of bad stuff that could be could be in this. And, and you know, for instance, you know, you give a seasoned kid, you know, CBD drops, it's going to help, but if it has heavy metal in it, it's going to exacerbate things. So, you know, and it seems like that. I mean, we've got all this scare right now with the vaping products and and these this these health concerns. You know, and and it sounds like mainly that things that are introduced in the actual processing. So it's not only the what the plant has in it that you need to take out in order for it to be a a, a safe product, but then actually the processing of that stuff introduces other issues and right. compounds and things into it. You know, and how I guess how do you see because how do how do you see this ultimately playing out in terms of how the industry gets regulated from you know the agricultural side from the processing side, from the actual consumer side. Okay. So yeah. So here's what I believe is going to happen. And and we kind of have an idea that this is how it's going to go. But CBD managed to slip in as a pharmaceutical product before the USDA took over hemp. Okay. Um, So so basically, if you isolate CBD, if you remove just that molecule, you're going to probably be in trouble long term. 
because that, that is now pharmaceutical. Now, if yeah. CBD is in with the rest of the plant, which we would call broad spectrum, uh-huh. it's legal because it's then regulated by USDA as a food extract. Got it. So as long as it's there as it was in the plant and then the THC is gone, you know, no heavy metals and pesticides, mm-hmm. that's where it's going to be headed. You know, they just they got to really watch over that THC. That's going to be the big thing. And then isolates. So they're, they're going to delineate what's a pharmaceutical and then what's a nutraceutical or a food. And I think that's how they're going to delineate broad spectrum as the plant left it. You just remove the THC to stay compliant. But if you remove that CBD and put that on something or in something, I think that's where you open up. So the, yeah, and then goes in the FDA. So this is the whole thing is, does it fall in? to the USDA or the FDA in terms of right. regulatory body. Um, and, and from a business point of view, then what's, I mean, I guess, how do you see people navigating this or, or how do you think it's going to structure the market or, you know, the products we end up seeing from a consumer point of view? Well, I, first and foremost, what I think is going to happen is I think the first wave, and I like to delineate the first and the second mm-hmm. wave, you had your first waivers that, that jumped in. I have a feeling a, a good amount of those are going to get squeezed is a bad word, but they're going to get, the regulation is going to hurt them, yeah. let's say. Yeah. They're going to be unprepared for the right. <laughs> regulatory exactly. challenges. And, 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 you know, and, and some of those problems are, you know, scaling something like a THC free product is very difficult. And in fact, no one's, you know, that's it's not something everybody's doing. Yeah. And when you look at the market right now, there's a shortage of THC free product. But ultimately, that's that's where I think it's going to go. I think that THC free broad spectrum is going to be something that we're going to be seeing in food. We're going to see it in nutraceuticals specifically broad spectrum. But I think we are going to see it in food and nutraceuticals big time. I think that's how people are going to want to take it. Yeah. yeah. And from a market point of view, I mean, I guess, I mean, it seems like it applied to so many things. I mean, how do you think this is going to break down in terms of you know, what the, what the products look like, who's taking it for what reasons, brands that develop. I mean, how do you see wow, that? I mean, that's a great question. And it's really all over the board. Again, I'll, I'll look back at, you know, I'll refer to magnesium. I mean, yeah. everybody needs this in their system, right? Yeah. So when I look at, you know, the elderly community, you know, they're going to need certain type of products. Um, you know, arthritis is a big thing. Topicals, you know, this stuff's working for them. They yeah. like to take pills because that's what they've been used to. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the younger generation that, that relates it more to a marijuana, so they like it in foods. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, I like to throw stuff in my coffee. That's how I dose myself with anything in the morning because I know I'm going to have my coffee. Yeah. You know, so I think there's there's different ways and I think people will find their way ultimately. But um, you know, once they get it in their system, that's up to them then, you know, figure out how I want to take it. But I think it'll be different products for different people. Yeah. yeah. Any particular markets or segments that you think are um, you know, have, have the most growth potential or I think or, the elderly. I mean, yeah. I, I gotta tell you, it's, you know, they've, they've been around the longest without cannabinoids in their system. And I think what's happening is, is when they get this, they're seeing the benefits and, mm-hmm. and those benefits are, are things that they have problems with, you know, pain, arthritis, you know, inflammation, you know, so, so once they get in their system, that stuff starts to go away. Yeah. So I, I think elderly is a big one. You know, but really everyone. I mean, I look at I look at my parents. I look at friends of of them. You know, like the generation above me, and they're all getting on it. Yeah. So it's it's you know, I, I look back at everyone has an endocannabinoid system. Once they could get over the stigma and get it into their system, they're probably going to be you know putting this in their system for the rest of their life, one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. I have I always am kind of um, fascinated about the changes to people's kind of social and you know connections and friends and stuff as they've gotten in the cannabis space. I mean, uh, as you you know kind of got involved in cannabis, did it affect, you know, relationships, either yeah. family or friends? Well, you know, tell yeah, us a little common, bit common goal and common enemy are two very powerful drivers. So, mm-hmm. you know, once you start to team up with the cannabis people, they bring you in and it, it is a family um, mm-hmm. because we're all fighting for the same thing. You know, you have your stigma, but what I, I noticed, it, it was a very clear it was a very clear change when the state went legal. You know, you, you, a lot yeah. of the people that say, eh, you know, this is bad. Once an authoritative figure says it's good, you know, AKA their doctor or their politician, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, 
you know, they tend to be open to it. And there was a very clear differentiator in our state as the when that because you, know, you have the news, you know, the news is on constantly talking about oh, it. Yeah. So, you know, and we do a lot of events in different states and it's actually it's really funny. I'll, I'll give you a story. So, you know, we did over the course of three years, I think we did something like 35 events up to that point in Pennsylvania. And, you know, we did things like destigmatize the word marijuana by just using the word cannabis. Like people yeah. don't have any yeah. kind of they don't have any kind of emotional tie to the word cannabis. Yeah. So when we went to West Virginia, then after three years of this, I went down to the Marriott. I set up a big event. We spent about two weeks getting it already. And I went to sign the paperwork and the lady said, by the way, what is cannabis anyways? <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed because it's literally Groundhog Day. I mean, yeah. it's, it's you could see these programs as they come on. All of a sudden, everyone yeah. starts to get educated. People are radically opposed at first. And then they, they know somebody that it fixed and they, they can't be too radically opposed. And then they see it again. They see it and, and they start to you know come around and, and it's a matter of time. And that's really how it goes with really any kind of influence. I mean, you get hit with radical opposition, you know, with any new idea. And then as you bring in, you know, supporting information, people come around. And it seems to be just a life cycle thing as to when the states come on board. Yeah. Yeah. I like to joke. I have uh, a couple of kids and, and friends of theirs, their parents, you know, it used to be that, you know, it's like, oh, oh, don't don't hang out with that guy. You know, he's in the cannabis business. Now they come to me for a job, you know, exactly. It's such a such a shift. Um, wild. Uh, and, and, and I think that's why uh, I think that the national legislation, federal legislation is is, is going to be so fascinating because I think when that goes, it's going to be a big, a big social and cultural shift in terms of acceptance and adoption and, and yeah, it's just I mean, it really is. Market. I mean, at that point, it becomes, you know, beer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, beer, that's good for you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's like not, not only is it no longer this kind of, uh, you know, illicit drug, but it actually has all these health benefits and interesting. So I, I'm curious, you know, for people that are kind of interested in getting into the space or either, you know, want to start cannabis business or have businesses that could pivot into cannabis in different ways. What are some of the things that you'd suggest they, you know, think about or be aware of or ponder hard before they actually make a move into cannabis? I mean, I would say look for a market need. You know, I, one of the things I noticed is everybody gets kind of blinded by the gold rush and they're out there buying the picks and shovels to go find the gold when they should be looking at what kind of picks and shovels they should be selling. And, you know, I, I'll just take hemp as an example. You know, everybody thinks they're going to become an extractor. Well, you know, there's a lot of science in that. Okay, yeah. But like, you know, there's there's an opportunity in going to these food manufacturers and selling yourself as a cannabis science expert or, or a formulation expert or someone that can help them bring their product into this world. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm starting to see is, you know, where people should kind of focus is if you do something good and you could find a way to bridge the gap between, you know, the vanilla world, for lack of a better way to put it, yeah. and the cannabis world, find it because there will be a need for you. Yeah. You yeah. For. It's all these, all these ancillary products and services that I've found, you know, in the course of um, being in the business and doing the podcast that are just fascinating. I mean, you just, you mm -hmm. never think about some of these things, but you know, everything from packaging to consulting services, uh, you know, it's just, there's so many little parts of this industry that, you know, that need professionals that need experts yeah. in different ways that you can come in and, you know, you just add, you layer in and, uh, a knowledge, understanding experience with dealing with the cannabis market. Um, yep. I guess what are some of the things uh, about the market? itself. I'm just kind of curious as, you know, people that are coming out of, you know, different industries that are, you know, mature and developed and have, you know, ways of working and cultures and stuff, you know, 
coming into the cannabis space can be a little jarring. Yeah. What, what have you noticed? Um, I mean, it's culture shock. Yeah. It's, so tell us a little bit shock. about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's tough sometimes to shed that. Uh, I go into a lot of rooms and I have to explain that we are the adults in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, because of the stigma and, and some of the people that did jump in. Yeah. You know, you get a lot of unsavvy investors. You know, I, I noticed that in the industry. A lot of people that say, hey, look, I never invested in anything, but I see this gold rush and I'm going to throw everything I have into it. Ooh, as their first investment. Wow. And it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. That that caused a lot of problems. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting industry. It's for sure all yeah. around. But yeah, it's, it's the adults are finally starting to come in the industry. I think as you see things like banking, you know, and in, in the you know federal regs change and things like that, that's where the people that have been sitting on the sideline, you know, the big boys, I yep. think are going to jump in without any kind of impediments because right now everybody's lawyer and accountant still saying no. Yeah, yeah, d- just because I mean, of the risk. I mean, people saying, hey, look, it's not worth the. Kind of the the regulatory uncertainty and the market uncertainty here to get into this, you know. But that's as those things start to change. Yeah, I um, uh, you know, we're 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 in the middle of kind of the banking reform, and you know, certainly if if things start to either deschedule or reschedule from a uh, drug point of view, um, it is going to dramatically change mm-hmm. the environment. I, I'm curious on the kind of finance side. I mean, I, have you seen? Uh, you know, investment coming into the space? Or, or, I mean, what's your sort of perception of capital available for companies that are in cannabis or getting into cannabis and need capital to grow and scale the business? Is it there? Is it not there? It's, what's your, well, I mean, it's everywhere. Sense? It's everywhere because you're going to get, you know, you have your people that are passionate about this. You know, I, that's one thing I know. You have a lot of people that, you know, secretly smoked it or put it yeah. in their system, you know, yeah. and now they're coming out and they're saying, look, I, I get it because I get how it made me feel. Yeah. So they will, you know, I don't want to say blindly, but they're the ones that will put in the money. That's what I've noticed. Like it, you know, at the state level, when you're out raising money with these capital groups, I mean, they have tons of money and I don't know that they're doing the right thing with them all the yeah. time, yeah. but you know, the, the money's there, you know, because it's so exciting. When you look at, you know, any image that shows where we are right now in 2019 and then where the industry is supposed to be by 2000, let's say 28, 20, you know, 2000, 30. I mean, it is a straight climb to the top. And I think that's exciting for a lot of people. And, you know, that's you notice it when you're out there, because I got to tell you, it's, it's it's always difficult to raise money. But with cannabis, it's been interesting because you do get people that jump in somewhat blindly and say, mm-hmm. oh, man, I'm just in. I just want to be in. I don't want to miss it. And yeah. uh, so. Well, and I think the danger, one of the things I, I certainly spend a lot of time doing advising you know, cannabis companies that are looking to raise money is you, you have to be a little more careful about who you're taking money from, you know, both in terms of where is the money coming from and what is the nature of the money, who are the investors, but also in terms of the, the savviness, you know, kind of the business and, this, and the investor savviness of the money is is because there is so much money out there that's just kind of, you know, unexperienced investment uh, yep. dollars uh, and certainly unexperienced in the cannabis space, you know, that can cause a lot of uh, uh, a lot of drama if you don't do yeah, it right. Yeah, it's, I mean, hey, I'm a, I, I could take it. I, I can tell you it happened to me. <laughs> well, that, you know, unsavvy investors, it, it really is a, uh, it's a whole oh. different ballgame. Anybody out there, don't get an unsavvy investor, I promise. Yeah. So where, so tell us where your kind of future focus is. What are you most excited about? Where, so are, you, where are you spending your time? What we're focusing on is there. there's an industry need for THC-free product. That's where it's going to go. That's where regulation is going to take it. So we are focusing, we're putting a 20,000 square foot lab uh, right now in, in Pittsburgh. And we are going to specialize in, in really THC-free custom formulations. Because where I see everything going is these researchers, they want the data. But then once they have the data, they want to start tweaking the formulations. Yeah. And, you know, right now there, there aren't groups 
groups doing that. It's very complicated. It, it requires a very in-depth level of science and, and people that have done this, you know, in, in other industries and things, you know, so that's where I see it going. And ultimately what we're going to focus is providing these custom formulations for uh, the pharmaceutical industry, the nutraceutical industry, and the food uh, industry. Those are the three we'll be focusing on. That's great. And if people want to find out more about you, about the work you're doing, about the companies, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so our nonprofit, the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society, has converted to uh, a national model, and we are at uh, medicalcannabissociety.org. And uh, Hemp Synergistics is up. They could reach me there. It's Russ at hempsynergistics.com is my e- email address, and our website is hempsynergistics.com. But yeah, feel free to hit me up there. Great. I'll make sure that those links and the email is in the show notes. People can click and get that. Russ, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great insights for our audience. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. It's been great, Bruce. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.